Okay, so just to get started, before I get started, I'm just going to tell you a little bit, a little bit about the book because uh, I hope, hopefully, you'll buy the book and read it. So by telling you about it, will you know, it's kind of a waste of time. But just, just to tell you what it's about a little bit, if you're on the fence, this book is about commuting. It's about practical cycling. It's not about racing or any of that stuff. Um, I love that stuff, I do that stuff, that stuff's a lot of fun, a lot of us do, but it's particularly about the state of mind of commuting, because I think that's the most interesting aspect of cycling right now. It's the most dynamic aspect. It's the one that's potentially useful to the most amount of people. I personally would like to see cycling go mainstream, totally mainstream as a form of transportation. Uh, so the book is about commuting, but it's also about commuting in general. Because whether you commute by bike or by car or by bus or however you do it, for most of us, um, our commute is the last savage frontier of our lives. It's the last primal state of being that we experience. Unless you're, you're maybe a surgeon or a, a firefighter or a soldier or something like that, chances are in the course of your day you're completely detached from anything violent or, or visceral, right? You probably sit in front of the computer all day or something like that. Um, you're home, you have a roof over your head, you probably get your food from a store, you don't have to kill anything to eat it, all of that stuff. The commute, however, this is the one little area of our day in which we might actually just get into a fight with a complete stranger. An altercation, a verbal fight, or a physical fight. This is not that unusual when commuting. This is also the one area of your life, again, unless you have one of those professions I mentioned, it's one of the only areas in your life in which you're, you're exposed to, to um, injury and death. Death is a regular part of commuting. It's not unusual. If you ride a bike, if you commute by bike, certainly you're well aware of how vulnerable you are, and you may have you know, had something happen to you or know somebody who something happened to. But forget the bike, even if you just drive, death is a huge part of driving. If you're sitting on the freeway in traffic and you're wondering what the holdup is and you turn on the traffic report and you hear there's an accident, you're just like, great, I gotta sit here for another half hour. Somebody's probably dead or maimed in a pool of blood, and we just think it's another inconvenience on the way to work. So I think that's why commuting's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's this last area of just madness. So that's what the book is about, hopefully in a funny way. It's about the weird mindset we have when we do it and how maybe we can make it better. So that's, that's the book. Um, but what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk about what we need as cyclists to make the world, our cities, our country, better for us. Now, I'm sure you feel, I, I go from city to city, and every city has a different level of bicycle friendliness. You know, you have Madison, and you have Portland, and then you have places that are a lot less friendly. But even in the cities that are most famously, for, what? Minneapolis. Madison was a nicer place to ride a bike than Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Madison was like cotton candy. Breeze. Uh, anyway, um, I'm sure you guys feel, I'm sure this is one of these places where you feel you need more, much, much more. 
Do you feel like a second-class citizen sometimes when you ride your bike around here? Yes. Not enough bike lanes, stupid and considerate drivers, all of that stuff. A city that's that's built like as though the bicycle were never invented. Yes. Okay. How do we make this better? How do we get all this stuff that we want? How do we get all that stuff they have in Minneapolis that makes it such a wonderful place to ride a bike? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at how do we get how do things happen in our culture in our country now. How do things happen? How do you wield power? How do you make things happen for you? Well, there are certain... This is going to get very heavy intellectual. I don't know if people in this part of the country are ready to, to think this hard. But uh, what affects change in our country, in our world today? Well, one new but powerful force is... Ah. Oh, I'm late. I'm late. No, not my book. There we go. Social media, right? Social media is a very powerful tool, right? That Arab Spring thing, which I, I heard about, I don't know that much about it, but right, Facebooking and tweeting your way to revolution, toppling governments, un unprecedented speed and communication and organization, information, it just you can't stop information, right? Information is power. Sharing information is power. Social networking is power, right? It has changed governments at this point. So logically, we can use social networking, social media, blogs, very important, arguably the most important form of media in our culture right now. We can use these things to get revolution, to get what we want, right? No, 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 no. You can do it, maybe Maybe it worked in the Middle East. That's not going to work for us. It's not, because we're just going to use it, and we are using it at the absolute dumbest level. Like my blog with pictures of naked ladies on recumbents and people tweeting about where they rode today and look at my pretty new thing that I bought. That's social networking in this country for cycling. So let's scratch that. It's not going to work. Let's cross that off our list of tools to get what we want. Money. Money. Now that's an evergreen. That's, oop, that's rolls of change. Uh, money, now we're talking, right? Money is power in this country, is it not? Maybe the most powerful force of change in this country. If you have money, you get what you want. You can influence politicians, you can uh, grease palms, you can lobby, all of that stuff. So, can we use money to get what we want? Well, there is money in cycling. There is a cycling industry. You're, you're, you're standing among uh, a facet of the cycling industry. How much money is there in cycling? How powerful, how big a business is cycling? Well, according to uh, cursory research I did in a matter of about five minutes before getting on the plane from New York, um, I have uh, apparently U.S. cycling industry revenues of $6 billion in 2010. $6 billion a year. Incidentally, of that, if you're wondering how that $6 billion breaks down, $4 billion of those dollars 
was spent on carbon frame replacement, broken carbon frame replacement. The other two billion just miscellaneous upgrades. Anyway, so cycling is a six billion dollar a year industry. So you can we can throw a little weight around, right? We got a little uh, we got a little lobby behind us, right? Not not exactly, because let's look at who's ahead of us in line in the in the palm greasing department. You have the auto industry. Ford Motors alone is 128 billion. That's just Ford. That's not counting the other ones. So 128 billion is a lot more than six billion. It's like I don't know, twice as much as six billion or something like that. And then you multiply it by all the other car companies. You got I, you got a lot of money. So. They're ahead of us in line. Who else is ahead of us in line? Pharmaceutical industry. This is another giant that's $315 billion, and we know they get things done. They want a drug legal? They can work. They can make it legal. They want another drug illegal so they can sell you something else? Uh, they can do it, all right? So we're behind them. And then maybe, arguably, everyone is behind... Oil, that's the big, big one. That's $1.9 trillion. And a trillion is $2 billion. So it's like a lot. Um, when you have a $1.9 trillion business behind you, you can dump oil on anything you want. You can drench, you can drench the sad little pelicans. If you're walking your dog down the street and some oil company get they can just get out of a car with a drum of oil and look at your cute little dog and glug 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 pour oil all over your dog and give you the finger and go that's they can do anything they want they can invade you know war i don't have to i don't have to go through all of this so they're up here we're down here so i don't think the money is going to work for us either so May, you may think at this point, well, we're screwed, we're going to stay second-class citizens, we've exhausted our, all our avenues, right? Well, there's one other very powerful force in this country. Of, where I, call, call your uh, Minneapolis jets over there. All right, one other very powerful force that allows you to uh, exert influence Far beyond your numbers or your wealth, um, would anybody, this is your moment to shine, would anybody care to guess what this other force of change in this country is? Minneapolis? What is it? No. Good try. Yes. PowerPoint. No. That's social networking. One more try. Sex. No. All right. Hey, just stop. Uh, religion. Religion. Religion is very, very powerful in this country, is it not? If you're... This country is founded on a principle of religious freedom, which means that we have to indulge every wacky religion out there. In practice, there's discrimination against certain religious groups, but for the most part, you have to accept all religious groups. Moreover, certain religious groups are extremely powerful, extremely powerful. And the fact of the matter is, like it or not, in this country, 
if you don't, if you don't profess a religion, believe in a religion, you are not going to achieve a position of power politically. In our lifetime, I would be willing to bet that we will not have a president who openly says religion. That's that's superstition. I don't believe in God. It's not going to happen. Do we agree that religion is powerful in this country? Okay. So that's why I'm saying what we do is we start our own religion. Are you with phone, telephone? We start our own religion. We become a religious group. Now, why should we do this? There are three principal benefits to becoming a religious order, a religious order of cyclists. These are, number one, generous tax breaks. I'm not an accountant. I can't run down for you. I can't line by line, dollar for dollar, what these are. But religion is exempt from a lot of taxes in this country. They get a free ride by virtue of their status as religions. We can get on, in on this. If we become a religion, then we can take these tax breaks. We could have a big place like this, and we wouldn't have to pay sales tax or real estate tax, and we could have peyote rituals in the basement and freak outs and do whatever we want. That's number one, the tax breaks. Number two, I don't know how it is here in L.A. In New York and in a lot of other places, if you're riding your bike and somebody hits you with their car, even if they're totally at fault, even if they ran a stop sign or ran a light or had a suspended license or no license, they are not going to get in trouble. They're not going to get in trouble. And what you wind up doing is dealing with some insurance company and dealing with lawyers and trying to get money to get your bike, if you're lucky enough to be alive. All a driver has to say is, well, I didn't see him, he came out of nowhere. <laughs> Stupid cyclists, they're crazy. That's it. That's where your life stands. If, however, you're a member of a religious group, then you get to play the hate crime card. There are serious laws in this country against hate crimes. They take that stuff seriously in the local, state, federal level. Can't commit a hate crime. So you're part of a cycling religion. You're a religious devotee. This is your culture. This is your way of life. Someone runs into you with your car, with their car. They've committed a hate crime. Much, much. That's not a, that's not a 20 minute call to Geico. That's serious business. All right. So that's number two. And number three, probably the best for us is you're a member of religion. You can be as completely crazy as you want. And we need this. We need license to be crazy because we are crazy. We're crazy. Look around you. Look at the clothes everybody's wearing. Look at the scene outside. It's, we're a laughing stock, okay? And it's okay. We're a bunch of freaks. That's what religion is too. It's freaks. It's a license to be a freak. If you're a religious person, I'm not trying to impugn your religion or anything like that. But no matter what, you got to admit, religion's crazy. If you're a religious person, if you're genuinely a religious person, you may not admit it, but you have to be thinking in your head, I've got the direct line upstairs, and these other religions, they're crazy. What are they thinking? They're going to burn in hell. What's wrong with them? And if you're not religious, you just think they're all crazy. So they're crazy. We're crazy. We want the tax breaks. We want the hate the hate crime status, so let's do this thing, yes? Are you with me? Even flirting with the idea so far? Yes? 
great. We can become very powerful if we do this. There's just one little problem, which is that you can't just say you're a religious group and expect to get accepted, expect to file, you, you know, get the exemptions and stuff. And this is hard. It's going to be hard for cyclists to understand because a lot of us, we don't like to pay our dues. We think we discovered cycling two months ago. We got the right bike and we got the right clothes and suddenly we're the real deal. You know, we got a few friends we like to drink beer with. We all made the same kit. Now we're a cycling team. Give me the 10% discount at the shop. You know, we like to buy our way into crap. You can't do that with religion. Some of these religions have really paid their dues. Thousands upon thousands of years. Genocides. We can't play the genocide card. We don't, we've, we've, we've had some hard times, but what, a hundred years of, of getting doored or something like that? That doesn't compare to what a lot of these groups have been through. So we can't just say we're going to be a religion. What we have to do is find a religion that we can piggyback on, wheel suck off of, if you will. Problem with that is the big three religions, I don't think any of them are going to have us, and I can't blame them. Uh, however, I do happen to know of a smaller grassroots religion that is currently proselytizing that would probably have us. If you read my blog, you may know that I am a religious person. I worship a lobster deity. Laugh at me if you want. Laugh at my faith and all I hold dear in my way of life. Mock. Go ahead. Mock. It's not something I made up for the blog. This is serious. I seriously worship this deity. My parents, their parents, generations upon generations of us have worshipped this faith. Like so many other oppressed peoples, we came here from the old country to escape persecution, and we found freedom. We found success. We found all of these things. We found the American dream. Incidentally, if you're wondering what old country the uh, lobsterites came from, it's just a place called the old country. It's a country called the old country. This picture was taken six years ago in the old country. What I'm saying is, I think I can talk to the elders and get us in. And then we can get all the other stuff. And to be honest with you, we're going to take the mic off. This religion is so easy. You can do anything you want. You can be the brave. You can look at pornography. You can be any sexual orientation. Anything you dream of, you can do in this religion. But we're very devout when it comes to our dietary restrictions. If you can hang with our dietary restrictions, you're in. You're in. And that's it. I'm just going to do a quick run through of the dietary restrictions. Number one, you cannot eat endangered species. Is this a problem for anybody? Anybody eating endangered species? It's on the list of endangered species. You can't eat it. That's number one. Number two, good uh, news for the cheese eaters. You can eat cheese. However, you cannot eat Kasu Marzu cheese. Do you know what this is? This is that cheese that has live larvae in it. I know you're moaning because you're like, oh, I can't live without my maggot cheese. You're going to have to do it. And look, I know it's delicious. I, this, is the, this is the hottest artisanal cheese right now, by the way. And I know you're going to miss it. I know you're going to miss the feeling of the maggots writhing when you take that bite and then the, the little pop when you bite in and the juice spurting in your mouth. You're going to have to give that up. Can you give that up? Do you think? 
Yeah. Okay, that's good. And then uh, there's only one more, which is you can't eat any food that's used uh, in conjunction with the marketing of a major motion picture. <laughs> so none of the McDonald's, Sex in the City, Big Mac deals, whatever they have. That's it, okay? That's it. That's all you have to do in this religion. Okay. Last part here, though. If we do become a religion, I think we should take the extra step of making a few more rules for ourselves. Just a few. I think as people who ride bikes, there's certain behavior we should extirpate from our little garden that will make us much happier as cyclists. I really think so. I don't know... Riding around here, apart from this, I don't see that many people just riding bikes to get around. So these, none of these behaviors may be on exhibition here. You can tell me if they are or if they aren't. If you've never seen any of this stuff, consider this uh, sort of my, my, your window into, into cities where people actually ride bikes, okay? So, number one behavior I think that we should uh, uh, ban is what I call shoaling. Does anybody know what this is? Okay. If you don't know what it is, shoaling. So you're at a red light, you roll up to a red light, you stop, and then somebody else on a bike comes and they roll in front of you and stop. And then another person rolls and stops in front of them. We're up to three people now, so three people on a bike at a red light at the same time around here. You've probably never seen that before. But it, or do, does this happen where someone just rolls up in front of you? It happened to me on the way here, but it might have just been because of this thing. I got shoaled, like two or three people lined up in front of me, and then uh, the light changed, and then they, then they went on the sidewalk. <laughs> but there's no other area of life in which it's acceptable to just cut in front of people online. You don't do it. You don't cut in front of somebody at an ATM. If you're using a urinal, have you ever had somebody while you're at the urinal just kind of like, let me, let me just squeeze in here for a second, get in on this. You don't do it. So don't do it on a bike. Don't roll up in front of people and stop in front of them. So no shoaling. That's number one. Number two is racing. Racing. I'm not... can't really see the picture. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about racing where you sign up to be in a race and other people sign up to be in a race and you line up at the same time as acknowledged participants and adversaries. I'm talking about taking a complete stranger and making them uh, and involving them in your stupid delusional fantasy. <laughs> racing complete strangers on your commute. Does this happen a lot here? Have you ever been raced? Just don't do that. The way, I don't know how it manifests itself here, but the way it manifests itself where I live is that any place that goes up even slightly, and that's usually the bridges, you're getting on the bridge, and then you hear behind you, you hear the sound of someone just sitting right on your wheel. You hear the breathing, you hear the attempts to shift, but the, the bike's a piece of crap, so the gear's not engaging, and it's a grinding. And you're like, somebody is sitting on my wheel. Someone wants a race. And you don't want to turn around, because once you do a social contract, has been signed and you don't want to sign this contract so you try to ignore them and you hear them back there you hear them and finally you're like i have to look at this disaster of a person and you turn around and you look and they, they catch your eye and it's on that's it once they look at you it's on then they attack and they go and they're halfway up the hill then they you're like good goodbye thank you leave me alone and then they blow up and they're weaving and yet have to go around them again and the whole thing is just so pathetic so just don't race people. Go as fast as you want. If you pass people, fine. But can you do that? What do you think? You think that would be a nice thing? Has anybody been raced? Does anybody race anybody? 
just spy someone and say that guy I'm gonna all right good I think you guys you guys are ready to stop that okay and then um, salmoning is another one I think we could all agree not to salmon correct is there a lot of salmoning in this part of the world yeah yeah let's not do that where I live, there's you. oftentimes you have this much room to yourself, this much room to yourself. And when someone is in that going the wrong way, that, that's your little vein of survival, that sliver. And someone coming your way, that is, that is an affront to your right to live. And that is why I play chicken with them in the hope that they will swerve and die. <laughs> and I just as a little aside, I say this in the book, there's nothing wrong with thinking just... Absolutely. I believe you should not argue with people. You shouldn't get into these fights. You should avoid it. But thinking, you should feel free to think and ponder and meditate on just the most hateful, hateful thoughts. Hateful. Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You know, people say, it's, it's wrong to like wish death on people. Don't think that way. It's negative. It's totally fine. You cannot wish someone dead. I can wish with my heart and soul all I want that someone's going to die. They're not going to die. So if someone cuts you off in traffic, some driver, just it, feel free. I love to do it, to just disappear into this fantasy of just the most horrible things happening to them later in the day, like getting caught in an escalator and dogs chewing off their face. It's not going to happen. It makes you feel good. And the best part is, if it does happen, if they should happen to die later, it had nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. And it's win-win. So... Feel free to embrace the, the hate. So no salmoning. And then this is one. I, now I really don't know if this happens here. Circling. Circling. Yeah. So what happens with circling, this is at an intersection, certain types of cyclists, the one who, who ride those kind of bikes, they don't believe, especially, not, that's not all the, who's guilty of it, but especially them. You don't ever put your foot down. It's not allowed. I don't know why. I don't know what the big deal is to put your foot down. There's nothing wrong with it. But in, in that culture, it's the ultimate act of supplication. It's like rolling over and exposing your soft underbelly to put your foot down. So there's different ways to deal with it. And the, the seasoned person will do the track stand, right? And then you have the people who are good at the track stand. And they look like, like the bird dog who's locked on, just the kind of... It always looks really silly. It's always the look, the thousand yard. You have that. And then you have the people who are getting the hang of it, but they're not so good at it, and they're just like... <laughs> right, the skiing. And then you have people who just can't do it, but they still won't put their foot down. So they ride and ride around in the crosswalk, around in circles. And what happens sometimes is... What happens to me often is that they'll ride around in the crosswalk in circles... Like around you. So you have someone, have you ever had this, somebody circling you? And when somebody, when one animal walks in circles around another animal, what it means is that the circling animal is going to kill and eat the other animal. And we know this, you feel this, this is in our DNA. So when you're circled, it's extremely threatening. If you were waiting for a bus and some guy just started walking circles around you, like, this person's a psychopath. I'm calling the police. So don't do it on your bike. No circling. If you can't do the thing, just put your foot down until you work it out. Go practice in your living room. Don't circle people. That's it. That's it for on-the-bike behavior. Just a few things. I'm gonna, two things I'm going to go through real quick that I think should be taboo. Number one. 
Pornography, as I said, lobster religion, very permissive. Look at all the pornography you want, enjoy it, no problem. Bike porn has reached epidemic proportions. This I have a little bit of a problem with. Like with the bike, handmade bike show and all that stuff getting so popular, and every, every single website and every, every cyclist thinks he or she is an amateur photographer. And after these shows, you go to any cycling-related website and there's just gallery upon gallery of photos of bikes over and over again. And people spend seven or seven hours in at work and just looking at these pictures and clicking and clicking. And after a while, you're not even looking at a whole bike. And I love handmade bikes. We all do. We, anyone who rides bikes likes nice bikes. But gets to the point, you're just looking at one tube Look, connecting to another tube and people commenting like, oh, God, yeah, must have. And it's what it does is it dehumanizes the bike as a whole. The bike ceases to be a bike. You covet other bikes. You neglect your own. It destroys families. you got to ease up on the bike porn. Uh, and then the last thing is information overload. I don't know if you could see this, the GoPro and the SRM and the Garmin. There's a thing going on right now where people seem to feel if the ride wasn't uploaded or filmed, that it didn't happen. The ride happened, okay? And furthermore, nobody gives a shit about your ride. You gotta set yourself free from all of this stuff. It's too much in the wattage tracking. Watts, what is with watts? You lost the race. You lost. It doesn't matter what your watts were. You, if you suck, you suck. You want a number attached to that, fine. Or maybe you won the race. Maybe you're really good. Same thing goes. So who cares how many watts? It's enough with the watts. It's enough with the videos. It's enough with everything. Strava, racing people up hills you don't even know. That's even worse than racing strangers on the commute. So just detach yourself a little bit from that. And then I think if we at least try to do all of that stuff, then we could one day get there. And that's, that's it. That's all I have to say. So, thank you. So, um, at, at this juncture, if anybody has any questions or anything like that, I don't know, you know, uh, questions, concerns, criticisms, uh, anything like that uh, they like to bring to the group, please do. Yes. Revolution is the religion. If we become a religion, it, look, I'm going city to city. If every city, every cyclist became a member of a religion, we could be like the Mormon. We could have a presidential candidate. <laughs> Gotta start a religion. It's our only hope. There's no money in in for us to throw around. Nobody takes this seriously. You go to the, I went to the bike summit. You got a bunch of people standing around. You know, no, you need, need to be a religion. That's, that's the only way we can get anything done. The pet peeves is just, I'm, I'm tacking that on because it was my idea, so I get to say what, what, what we do. Uh, yes. I love Minneapolis. I love Minneapolis. Why do you love Minneapolis? Are you from there? You're really, but your bicycling magazine says something's number one, and that's good enough for you. 
Oh, I got I had a specialized S works to sell you after this. Okay. Um, any any other? Uh, yes. <laughs>